Well, good morning. Could you do me a favor, if you're willing and able, could everybody kind of move to the center? Act like we really care about each other. I appreciate that. Thank you for being here. Before I begin, I want to remind you that the second Sunday of the new year going to be presenting Own the Vision. Talk about the vision for our church as we go into the new year. I'm looking at the next two, three, four, five years, however long Jesus uh, tarries his second coming. Um, and after that, in February, we also have a table talk schedule. We talk about it more. I just want to stress upon you um, as you celebrate Christmas Eve night. Don't forget about our candlelight service tonight at 5.30, but be praying uh, for us as a church. Um, we're living in some very difficult times. We have a lot of obstacles and challenges to overcome. But as I watched a uh, movie last night, I was reminded that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So uh, keep that in your prayers. Um, I'm excited what the future holds, uh, but it's going to take all of us working together to carry out the mission. Well, tonight is the night all of us have been waiting for. All the decorating, all the preparations have been leading up to this moment. And I want to remind you as the day unfolds, uh, hope you'll come back for our candlelight service and you go home and spend time with your family and as you begin to celebrate Christmas, don't let, all, don't let all the activities take your attention from what is the most important. And that's as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And his arrival on earth ushered in God's hope, love, joy, and peace. Now, when I was a kid, I struggled with waiting for Christmas. Now, the older I get, I'm amazed how fast Christmas actually comes. But I remember being about 10, 11 years old, and December finally rolled around. And my mom had one of those countdown calendars. I'm sure you see it. You count down the, the days of Christmas. And each day passed, I was more excited and anticipating what's going to happen on Christmas morning. And it seemed like the days just went by so slow. I couldn't wait. It felt like it was going to take forever to get here. Now, how many of you can relate to being impatient? Probably even now. Being impatient for Christmas to come here. Felt like you're just anticipating waiting. Well, we get a small taste of what God's people went through while they were waiting. Before Jesus was born, the Old Testament was full of prophecy about the Messiah, the one who would come to save God's people from their sins. And these promises we can read over and over again. They're a reminder that God had not forgotten about his people. In fact, if you look at the book of Psalms, it has many poetic laments about how long people waited for God to come through, imploring Him to remember His promises. And with that, I would remind you that God is working 
in our waiting. God is working in our waiting. As we read through the Old Testament, we find that it seems that the people of God seem to think that God had forgotten about them. Now we know He was working in and through them the entire time. He was teaching them to rely on Him in the wilderness. And He was forming them to a faithful people in the temple. He was building them to a great nation from which the good news of Christ's birth would come. You see, dearly beloved, God is always unto something. As we begin to read the New Testament, we read about the long-awaited incarnation of God. Mary gives birth to him in a stable, straps him in the cloth, and lays him in a manger, just as the prophets had foretold. He grew into a man, faithful to God the Father during his years of earthly ministry. He was obedient in everything, even to death on a cross. And after his death, he was laid in a tomb. But three days later, he rode victorious over sin in the grave. He was resurrected, and he appeared to the disciples. And he promised that though he was going to heaven, he would one day return. And our text today tells about the last time his disciples will see him before he ascends into heaven. Let's look back at verse 6 and pick up the story. They ask him a question. Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now this takes place on the Mount of Olives. You can see that in verse 12. Why would they ask that question? Well, in Jewish thought, God's promises often refer to the coming of Israel's final salvation. And that concept is found elsewhere in the book of Acts. The outpouring of the Spirit had in times associations. In other words, it was seen as a mark of the final great messianic day of the Lord when Israel will return to her former glory under King David or King Solomon. Now look in verse 7. Jesus kind of rebukes their question. Look what he says. It's not for you to know the times or epochs or the periods or the dates or the seasons. This is a matter totally up to God within his purposes and his authority. Even Jesus denied having such knowledge in Mark chapter 13, verse 32. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Pause there for a minute. Jesus said, I don't even know, only God the Father knows. Could it be this Christmas Eve will be awakened by the trumpet blast and the return of the Lord? Could it happen? Of course it could. It could happen in the next five minutes for all we know. But it is going to happen. And in verse 8, he tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. They're going to receive divine power. And the Greek there is dudamos. It's the same word used to describe the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels. See, the outpouring of the Spirit is a prelude to the equipping for missions. And when you come forward and you've given your life to Christ, in that moment of salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. He gifts you and equips you for ministry. 
See, ministry is not being stagnant. It's not being a spectator. It's to be active in building His kingdom. And their role was to be witnesses of Jesus' earthly ministry. There are eyewitnesses to everything that He did. There are eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Now some people say, well, Jesus never really rose from the grave. Well, let's just pause there for a second, shall we? No one ever disputes that the grave was empty. Everybody knew where his body was. And in fact, upon the urging of Caiaphas, the high priest, Pilate had the tomb sealed with Roman seals and put guards in front of that tomb. Now most paintings that we see, you see two or three guards. That's not the case. Probably a garrison there. Probably from 12 up to 24 guards at that tomb. The tomb was found empty. The Roman guards deserted their post. Now, under their rules, if you deserted your post, they'd be put to death. By the way, in our own military, during times of war, if you fall asleep on your watch, you can be put in front of a firing wall as well. So why would the Roman guards leave? The, the body was gone. No one found the body. If they could find the body, it was in the best interest of the Sanhedrin and the Roman government to put his dead body on display, say, here he is, he is dead, but no one could find the body. And how about the disciples themselves? Do you remember what Peter did the night of his crucifixion? Did he stand up and say, I know this guy? What did Peter do? He was frightened. He said, I don't know the guy. Denied him three times. Very strongly that third time, he said, no, I do not know this guy. And yet that same person and people who were hiding behind locked doors, scared they'd be next, just a few weeks later were on the very steps of the temple telling those people, that man you crucified is the Messiah. And their story never changed. Not once. They're eyewitnesses. We should read the Gospels as eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did. And they tell us the Gospels don't contain everything that he did because if they wrote everything he did, we couldn't carry the book. But certain things are pointed out to us in the Gospels as guided by the Holy Spirit so that we would believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And a witness, its root meaning is testimony. It takes on a legal term, if you will. What do you do when you go to a court of law? You stand there and you swear, usually on the Bible, and you swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. That's what that word means, to bear witness. And by the way, that's not only my mission and purpose, that's the mission and purpose of this church. That's the mission and purpose of your individual lives. See, the story of Jesus leads us to Jerusalem. The story of the church leads from Jerusalem out in Judea, into Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. After Jesus tells them about they're going to receive power and be his witnesses, look in verse 9. After he said these things, he was lifted or taken up. Just like that, Jesus is gone. And in verse 10, we see this, they gazed intently into the sky. <laughs> he goes up the sky. I can imagine being there. Okay, now what do we do? What do we do now? How do we do this? What, what are we going to do? And the angel shows up and asks him, why are you staring into the sky? 
Why are you doing that? Look at verse 11. He tells them, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. He is coming back. As if the angel was telling them there's work to be done. Stop staring into the sky. There are hurting people who need to hear the hope about the resurrection. Get moving. Tell them. And this began a new season of waiting. One that you and I are in today. We live between his ascension and his second coming. Now, Bible prophecy provides some of the greatest encouragement and hope. The Old Testament is saturated with prophecies concerning the birth of Christ. Both Testaments are filled with references to a second coming. One scholar estimates there's 1,845 references in the Old Testament. No, I didn't look all 1,845 references up. Do the homework, you correct me, I'll come on, I'll say, yes, I was wrong, Roger corrected me. I'm going to say that because you're smiling at me right now. In 17 books of the Old Testament, it's given prominence or importance. In the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming. And 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament refer to this great event. What's my point here? My point is we're celebrating the birth of Christ. This is Christmas Eve. But we cannot celebrate Christmas Eve without looking forward to the second coming. The reason he came the first time was to prepare us for his second coming. So we could be with him for all eternity. For every prophecy about his first coming, there's eight more which look forward to the second coming. He is coming back and he will restore his creation to perfection. Consider this, when he arrives there will be no more sorrow, pain, wars, death. All that will be totally eradicated. There will be no more sin. But let's all agree to this. It's hard waiting, isn't it? Do you find yourself torn? Like the Apostle Paul, I find myself wanting to be with the Lord, but I know there's work here to be done. Do you ever feel that way, kind of torn? That Jesus, if you were to come today, it'd be okay with me. Things are getting bad down here. Come on back anytime you want. But at the same time, that still small voice comes into your head, into your heart, going, wait a second. There's still people that need to hear. There's still people that need to be witnessed to. There's still people that be, uh, feel the love of God through our actions and through our deeds. I would love to see the future promises become a reality today. But I know God knows exactly what he is doing. God is working in our waiting. Even though we may not see it, we just can't stand around and stare into the sky counting down the minutes and the days for Jesus to return. The good news of Jesus needs to be shared in what we say and what we do. And while we spend our time actively waiting... God will shape us and mold us into the people he wants us to be. The years of waiting will not be wasted. Another part of scripture says anything, I'm paraphrasing, not quoting verbatim, anything that you do for the Lord is never in vain. All right, ladies, let me put you on the spot. I wouldn't plan to do it, but here we go. How many of you like working VBS? Raise your, anybody, you like working VBS? You ever have any problem kids in your VBS? Kids that just misbehave? Don't think they're listening or just cutting up. Every time you turn around, they're doing exactly the opposite of what you ask them to do. I see that every Wednesday night at blast. 
I was one of those kids. If you went back and told some of those VBS workers back in Manassas, Virginia, or even youth ministers at the time, that Tim's going to be a future preacher or pastor at Forestburg Baptist Church, they would have laughed at you, Tim. Ha, 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 ha. But I'm one of those kids. I say that as an encouragement. All that work they poured into me, even though I strayed way stronger, I mean, I, I wandered so far away, it was still in me because I went back to seminary. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That's in the Old Testament. And in fact, I'll share this with you very briefly. When I was working, there was two believers on my crew, and they were constantly witnessing to me. I didn't see that at the time, but looking back, yes, they were. And so finally, to kind of get them off my back, I said, I'll tell you what. I'll bet you dinner, you buy me dinner if I can recite the Old Testament books by memory and order. They said, no way. I said, yeah, and I did it. I can still do it to this day. Genesis, so on and so forth. They were blown away. I say that to encourage you. That's something I learned back in vacation Bible school. Even though I wandered from God and did all, I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but the fact remains that was still in me. It didn't return void. It's still with me. Going back to the point that the years of waiting will not be wasted, Jesus' return will be for all to see. His first coming took place in a small town called Bethlehem. Audience of shepherds, farm animals. But his second coming will be something that cannot be missed. His birth marked a humble beginning. His return will be on display for the entire world to see. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. Jesus will return with trumpet blasts and riding in the clouds. We don't know what day this will happen on. We can't get our iPhones out. I'll have mine up here and set it on our calendar and say, this is when Jesus comes back. We do not know. We must live each day as that could be the day that he returns. But did you notice in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, a phrase that the people were mourn over him? Why would people mourn? Because the first time he came as the Savior to save people. He comes again. He's going to be the judge. We must live ready because in the end, all of us will have to give an account. I, can't bestand, I won't be standing behind Dial on that day saying, look what Dial did. I have to give an account. We give every excuse there is under the, under the sun, but it will not stand. Well, you don't understand, Lord, the people at that church were just hypocrites. They didn't do it. Anyone's going to tell me? doesn't matter, Tim. I died for you. You heard the gospel. You had a choice, and you rejected it. There will be no excuse on that day. So let me ask you, what have you done with the grace and mercy that has offered you this day? Have you believed and received this gift of love? Or have you rejected it? Forsberg Baptist Church, let us not grow weary of waiting. Do not grow weary of waiting. 
Have you noticed something about us? True about over. We don't like to wait. Especially in today's age, we don't want to wait. Whether if it's waiting in the line at DPS to get your license or get a tag or standing in line at Walmart or standing in line at the airport or waiting in line to pump gas, we're so tempted just to throw in the towel. When things take too long, we grow weary and sometimes wonder if it is worth it. What I want to exhort and encourage you to remain faithful, continue to endure. Don't give up the fight. The book of, he the book of Hebrews is written by an unknown author. Now, those people might say it's Luke, but we really don't know who wrote that book. Obviously, God did, but I don't know who, who Arthur he used. And it's given to those who are tempted to give up the faith. They're tempted to give up faith in Christ and go back to Judaism. But over and over again in that book, the author implores his, his readers and his listeners to remain steadfast in order to receive the blessed rest of God that was promised long ago. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. You see, when Jesus comes back, it will not to be to deal with our sin. He's already taken care of that. It will be to save those who are eagerly anticipating his second coming. Are you eagerly anticipating for Jesus to come back? Does that thought ever cross your mind? Do you live your life as though it is true and imminent or impending? For us as Christians who believe that Jesus will return one day for his church, that should impact how we live. How does your faith in Christ impact your life? I mean, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we cannot forget His ministry on earth. We cannot forget the Last Supper. We cannot forget His sacrifice. We cannot forget what He told His disciples when He left. In order to celebrate Christmas, you look at the whole thing. His birth, His ministry, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, and His coming again. And while we sing festive hymns tonight and celebrate the saving grace that was given to us through the birth of Jesus, we must remember that there's people all around us, perhaps just right down the road, who have never heard that God sent His Son because He loves them. Oh, they hear all the commercials on TV about buy this or buy that or buy this or buy that praise Christmas gift, but they've never heard or let seen the love of God demonstrated before them. There may be people in your own family, love, your loved ones, cousins, uncles, aunts, nieces, nephews, cousins. It could be colleagues at work. It could be a long-term friend. We must not grow weary of waiting, and we must not grow weary of sharing so that others might know the joy of God's love. Keep your eyes on the sky, in the heavens, but also tend to the mission. You've got to know that He's coming any time, but also let that be our motivation. Let that be our constant drive to be out there tending to the mission that He's given us.
Now, as I conclude, I want to share a, a story about Fanny Crosby, and I did not look at the hymnal number for this, but there is a hymn in those hymnals that's called Rescue the Perishing. Rescue the Perishing, care for the dying, Jesus. I forget the rest of it. But she wrote that in 1869. And if you look in your hymnals, you'll find out that Fanny Crosby penned a lot of hymns. But this one I'm talking about is Rescue the Perishing. And when she was asked about the song, she explained it was written following a personal experience at the New York City Bowery Mission. She went on to explain that she would go down there on a, on a weekly basis to talk to what she called her boys. One night while she was speaking to them, she kept having the thought that there was a boy present who had wandered away from his mother and must be rescued that night or he would be eternally lost. She made a plea to each boy that was there that night, and at the end of the service, one of the young men came forward and said, Did you mean me, Miss Crosby? I promised my mother to meet her in heaven. But as I am now living, that will be impossible. She prayed with that young man and led him to Christ. And as they finished, he said this, quote, Now I'm ready to meet my mother in heaven, for I have found God. End of quote. This Christmas, as we remember Jesus' first coming and wait for his second, may each one of us have the heart of Fanny Crosby. Perhaps her desire is to find God right here and now. I have good news. Jesus has, in fact, took on human flesh. He was born in a manger over 2,000 years ago. He was a servant, always serving others, never did one miracle for himself. He went out speaking and teaching and serving. He even got down at one point and washed the nasty feet of the disciples. He even went as far to lay his life down for your salvation and mine. Yes, he was laid in the tomb. But on the third day, he rose victoriously over sin in the grave. You can receive his grace right here and right now. And I invite you to come forward as we begin to sing here in a moment. As 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Now is the day of salvation. Take the moment now. I cannot think of a better Christmas gift than to give you and lead you to Christ. I cannot think of a better Christmas gift to give you than to kneel beside you and to pray for what's ever on your heart. Do you realize you have access to the Creator, this powerful, almighty God, that He longs to speak to you. He longs to be beside you. He's done everything He possibly can do. He's given us witnesses. He's given us his book. He's given us his Holy Spirit. We have his church. We have each other. But here's the thing. It's still up to you. God respects your free will so much that he's not going to force himself on you. It has to be your decision. Not your parents. Not your grandparents. Not your brother. Not your sister. Yours. Because at the end of the day, you'll have to answer for it. But don't let fear be the only motivating factor. Let his love and desire to know you 
I'm going to say this, and we'll go right into the invitation. Quit listening to the voice of the enemy telling you, if you just have this, if you just have that, if you just have this job, if you just have this relationship, and every time you're trying to jump through all the hoops, there's always something else to do. There's no end to it. It's always this, this, this. And you're, you're constantly hopping around from one foot to the other. The enemy is laughing at you. He's trying to keep you from the truth. And the truth is that love, joy, peace can all be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's absolutely free. All you have to do is walk up. I confess. I've broken your law. Forgive me. I like that. You go from the enemy of God to the member of the family. But it's up to you. Completely up to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this, this time of year. Lord, I, I still can't imagine, Jesus, what it was like to step out of heaven and take on human flesh, and to walk among us, and to love us, and teach us, and to show us, and to become the way, the truth, and the life. That as they betrayed you and mocked you and spit on you and hit you and whipped you and nailed you to the cross, you still pray, Father, forgive them for knowing what they do. And I pray that you remind us as our attention tonight goes back to that scene in Bethlehem. Remind us all what took place to purchase our salvation. Because you, Father, you loved us so much. You don't want to leave us in the darkness, but you desire us to be with you. You made the way possible. Father, I pray if anyone within the sound of my voice needs to make a decision, needs to come to your son as Lord and Savior of their life if they need to come and pray for forgiveness or peace whatever it is dear God I pray that you give them the courage and the boldness to step out because Father you have proved yourself faithful time and time and time and time again that you always keep your promises nonetheless your will be done in his name that we pray Amen. Would you stand with me, please?